0: Thoughts on Education, a Little Light Studios original podcast, episode two.
1: Welcome to the second podcast on Thoughts on Education. I'm very excited to uh, reopen up this topic. I'm sitting here with Brandon Mascarenas, Keith Detweiler, Thomas Meyer, and myself, Scott Meyer. Um, so, very important topic, very excited, uh, but before we get started, let's say a little word of prayer. Keith, you want to do the honors?
2: Sure. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would lead and guide us in this discussion, and that the things that we say would uplift and glorify you. Uh, please bless those that are listening, uh, that your Holy Spirit would attend them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Amen. So, today we're going to dive straight into this, and, um... We're going to get into uh, basically God's beginning plan of education, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the world here, and the first parents, and what was the design of education back then. Um, I want to start it out with Proverbs 3.13. Uh, This is a great verse. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Now, that's basically the understanding of all education is everybody wants to find uh, to wisdom, and that wisdom should bring you happiness. So that's the reason we're all discussing this topic of education. What is God's model of education? So if we go all the way back to the beginning, when man was created, um, it, the Bible tells us that we were created in the image of God. Um, what does this mean? Brandon, you got any thoughts on this?
0: Yeah, so to be created in the image of God, I think a lot of times we default to thinking to physical features and and attributes, and I'm not going to say that that's not um, what it is or isn't. I believe that we are in some way resemble the physical appearance of of God, but I think it's a little bit deeper than that. I think it deals more with Um, emotional and um, character uh, development and images of of who God is. You know, the Old Testament and New Testament is very uh, apparent that God is loving and, and merciful. He's compassionate, he's kind, and I think that ultimately the image of God is his character, and that when we were created, we were given those attributes, or at least the propensity to have those those kind of character traits
1: 1st Corinthians 11 verse 7 says for a man Indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God But the woman is also the glory of man Um, Keith what is what is this verse trying to tell us?
2: I? think it's trying to tell us that um, a Woman you know we Brandon just talked about the physical aspects and and saying that you know there is a a parallel um, we, we do have some physical attributes that God has. And to me, this says that there are uh, there's a parallel between a man and a woman. A woman has similar physical, physical attributes uh, as a man does, and a man has similar physical attributes that God does. Uh, if you look at it in the relationship of um, Christ and his church, um, we are to be um, the glory of God you know, we're to be made, well, we are to behave so that we are a glory to God, and the woman, likewise, is supposed to behave in a, in a manner that is a glory to the man, or her husband in this case. Uh, they're supposed to complement each other. Um, so that, that's what it, That's what I gather out of
1: it. So in a sense, God created man to be a parallel of a greater spiritual truth. Absolutely. The Bible says in Hebrews 2 verse 7 that man was made a little lower than the angels and that thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Um, Keith, what is this trying to tell us?
2: Well, angels, you know, in the in the Bible, ta- we're told that they have responsibilities. They, they have given jobs. Um, some are messengers. Some are guardians. But what this tells us is that Just like the angels, man had uh, a job to do. He had obligations. He had responsibilities. and, And those were moral because God is moral. And in this new scenery that they are in Eden, they are untouched by sin, and they were to receive their education to prepare them for those moral responsibilities and obligations.
1: Hmm. So Eden being the center of education and God obviously placing man in a garden. Uh, Tommy, Mr. Gardner, can you talk on, uh, you know, why did God place Adam and Eve inside of a garden?
3: Well, it's a really interesting uh, aspect of the creation. And when you look back in Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, You know you think about how did God create the world he spoke and things came into existence and that's kind of how we we see it right and we think of okay God created Adam uh, out of the dust of the earth so we we have this picture of God getting down on his hands and knees and forming Adam out of the dust of the earth but what's really interesting when you read verse 8 there in chapter 2 it says and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So even in the formation of the garden home where Adam and Eve would reside, he actually took time to get down on his hands and knees, literally, and plant and put in that garden. I think think the Bible says, or means what it says here, and, and he actually planted that garden. So it's a, a beautiful uh, example for us. Um, in Matthew 13, 37, the Bible tells us that he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. So Christ is our example, and Christ is the one who planted the garden. So it's neat to think back that, you know, you go all the way back to the beginning, it's actually Christ was the one who actually planted this garden. And he is our example. And so our first uh, lesson book there is Nature, right there in the Garden of
1: Eden. You know, I like that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an an, an expected end. Um God Hmm. knew what he was doing by placing man mm-hmm. in the garden he knew that it would be beneficial to him um having that work is is was designed to help them grow and uh i think it's really neat that that um you know that was god's first real lesson his, yeah. his first thing his first task that he gave humanity was here get in the soil and start working with your hands and start
3: growing um, start growing food and tending to this garden. You're, it brings up a good point of, of environment, and um, I found this old printed piece of paper in a 1948 edition of uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, and we'll take a picture of this and post it uh, in the comments here below this uh, so you can read the whole thing in its entirety, but it's just titled Environment um, by Hilda Strumpf. Um, and it talks about how God puts us in an environment that we can grow, that we can learn. Um, And just to start out here, it says, He puts one who is quick with one who is slow. He puts one who is quiet with one who is talkative, that the one who is quiet and the one who is quick may be patient with those who are talkative and slow. Uh, He puts... Um, one who is orderly with one who is untidy, that both may learn lessons. Often our environment is but an answer to our prayers. And then it goes on to just have how, when we pray for, uh, for instance, when we pray um, uh, for more love, God sends peculiar sufferings and puts us with un, apparently unloving persons, and lets them say things that rasp the nerves, and lacerate the heart, and sting the conscience. So you know, oftentimes w- w- we don't realize that the environment God is putting us in is is there to learn. It may seem opposite to what we're praying for, what we're asking for, but it's really there to it, meant for our our education.
1: I think it's one of God's reasonings for uh, designing us to have children Mm -hmm. (laughs) because uh, you know, having children myself and I'm sure all of you guys know this too. You guys have children as well that it seems that they are uh, selfish little beings by nature. You know, they, it's all about them. They want what they want. They want it now. They want, um, they want, uh, they want things their way. And as a parent, sometimes you feel like you're just serving these little beings but it is good for us because it's it's taken us out of our bubble of selfishness. The world is all about what I know and what I want, and and, and now it's like you have this other life that uh, you, you focus on that, and you, you get to see firsthand um, the results of that kind of thinking. And so I, I, I know God has a very well-designed plan in all of these activities that he's, that he's given to us. So... Brandon what are some of the elements of the garden what are some of the activities that that man was supposed to do was it just to walk around and pick and eat the fruits or or what were some of the activities
0: uh, that's a good question Scotty you know as we think when we see it the the fall of man obviously there was a command and part of the punishment was that and maybe it wasn't a punishment but just as a result of sin and their actions that he uh, Adam was and his offspring were going to have to toil the soil and the ground, and it was just going to be hard work and labor to cultivate and produce um, fruit, vegetables, whatever in the garden. You know it's it's hard to it's hard to say exactly what they had to do, but I, when you think about keeping a garden, you think about uh, pruning and cutting back and trimming, and you think about um, harvesting what was necessary to do. Obviously, before sin, there wasn't death, so. Trying to wrap my mind around plants and and vegetables dying, that may not have been in the case, but I can still imagine that that they still had a level of work to do in the garden, um, with pruning and keeping and cleaning and organizing, keeping things in order.
1: What were these activities designed to do? I mean, did God just want to keep them busy, or what was what was the reasoning behind? Um you know, having them prune and having them dig in the dirt, what was he trying to achieve by that?
0: When we look throughout the Bible, we see that, that God uses many examples from nature as object lessons to teach us principles of his kingdom. And I believe that he used way in the beginning, even before sin, uh, continually to develop this this idea and and this whole concept of, of God's principles, his law, his kingdom. And so, to dig in the garden, to prune, were all part of this whole educational process of who he was and what his character was, and furthering, not only um, showing Adam and Eve who he was, but it was also teaching them, uh, I believe, levels of responsibility and, and good practice. Uh,
3: you know, I think, uh, I mean, really, it's. Uh, I was thinking about the, the lesson, like, how it just worked perfectly. Obviously, because God had the knowing the the end from the beginning, uh, as this thing moved into a sin situation, uh, it worked perfectly to continue the education of of character development, uh, as it were. And uh, even though the soil got harder, that was just preparing us all for the hearts of. Our fellow man growing harder, growing more packed down, and and to to realize that we that we have a work to do in preparing the soil, and you know the Bible says in Jeremiah four three to break up the fallow ground and to not sow amongst the thorns, In other versions it says break up the fallow ground of your the hard ground of your hearts. So, um, you know this preparation is a is a not, totally totally, uh, I think oftentimes overlooked. Um, situation, and for us now, you know, we think of this analogy and we think of, oh, spreading seeds, we want to get the truth out, we want to get the word out. And really there's a preparation in the in the soil that needs to take place uh, so that those seeds of truth can take root so that we can bear fruit. That's an, that's an important point that you brought up, that
2: it wasn't God's method that was flawed in education. The methodology that God used continued and stayed the same. Some of the other benefits, too, is we know just from experience and we also know from science, too, that things that are not developed or used tend to go by the wayside. So you think about your body. Our bodies are designed to be bodies that move. If they're not moving, what happens?
3: Yeah, things die.
2: You know, you have atrophy, Mm -hmm. right? If your mind isn't being continually trained to think or dwell upon heavenly thoughts or or just thinking in general then the mind also atrophies and we see this as as people age when they just more or less sometimes they give up you know they they don't feel like they have anything to live for the mind just kind of goes by the wayside and it's not actively doing the things that it was once before and it gets slow it gets um it's just not as sharp as it is. Um, the character too. We should we should always be striving to live up to God's ideal, to be better than we are. If we're not, you know, there's a common saying: if you're not going forward, then you're moving backward, right? It's the same with character. Um, so we need to be we need to be doing with our bodies and our minds and our characters. Um, with what God had designed them to do, and that's continue to grow and strengthen.
1: I love the idea um, that gardening and planting and growing things has this spiritual connection to these greater truths. Um, as I've ventured into my third or fourth season now gardening, um it's really interesting to me to just notice what's happening in the soil as I'm growing those foods, as I'm growing those fruits. Obviously, every garden has weeds. And the the more that you don't stay on top of those weeds, the more they get out of control. They grow, they grow seeds, they drop more seeds, those things get bigger, and they become increasingly more difficult to actually remove from your garden. And I thought about that spiritually, um, you know, just in the little subtle things in, in your life. When you let your life overcome with weeds and things that choke out the fruit that you are supposed to be bearing, and you're not staying on top of it, it becomes increasingly harder and harder to actually remove those things out of your life. Whereas I've noticed if I go out there, every time I see a little weed, pluck it out. And, and lo and behold, I actually don't do that much weeding because I've, I've, I've really stayed on top of it. So I, I, I've really enjoyed those little tiny spiritual truths of just simple ideas uh, that's just growing fruit in my garden.
2: Speaking of weeds, I don't know about you guys, but I, I know in the, the past definitely when I've done some gardening, especially in the early stages, maybe you plant some corn, and then lo and behold, that w- the little weed that pops up next to it how similarly it looks to the corn that's also coming up. And you have to study them very carefully to know the difference between what's the weed and what's the actual plant. And if you let it go, a lot of times you don't find out until it's too late and they've matured, you know, what what you have now, either a nasty weed or the fruit. Think about that in the spiritual applications, you know. If, if you let something go, if you don't study them closely to know the difference between what's good and what's bad, the bad can be very deceptive and look very much like the truth and you won't know until it's too late if you don't if you don't study the differences and then it will mature into this this thing that's uh, ugly and grotesque and you wish you didn't have.
3: Yeah, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Pray for wisdom to know.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, Job 37, verse 16, um, you know, Job makes the mention, "Dost thou knowest the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him, which is in perfect knowledge. Um, Job, obviously, uh, going through his his very difficult um, time, I think was just looking at nature around him and saying, hey, sometimes we don't know the reason why these things are are, are happening. I mean, how do we know you know how, to, how who's to say you know you know why the clouds do what they do and um but you know all of these wondrous works they speak of 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 god so um tommy do you have any thoughts on that
3: now, there's another scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, you know, when you're you're thinking of, of uh, examples in nature, what, what kind of things are pointing to God, his uh, light that he shines into our life is what, ultimately makes his character grow within us. Because ultimately that's what, um, that's ultimately what's happening. When you look at uh, Christ's object lessons and you read through that book, you realize real quickly that God drew from nature heavily, uh, Jesus drew from nature heavily to teach us the things of heaven, teach us the things of God. And so ultimately the question becomes, you know, uh, For spiritually speaking, of of growing seeds that are the truth, and they grow in the heart. What are we actually growing? And Christ Object Lessons, page thirty eight, has a beautiful explanation of what it is we're actually growing. What's represented by the plants? Every seed that brings forth fruit after its kind. Sow the seed under the right conditions, meaning you've prepared the soil, and and understand it there have prayed for God to bring whatever balance to the soil needs to you know, be brought into balance in terms of w- what somebody's heart needs. And it will develop its own life in the plant, receive into the soul by faith the incorruptible seed of the word, and it will bring forth a character and a life after the similitude of the character and life of God. So basically, these plants that are represented uh, growing in our hearts represent... God's character growing within us, and he's desiring to grow his character within each one of us. And just seeing plants grow, watching them grow in my own garden, it's just such a beautiful testament to God's character, because every aspect of nature is uh, an expression of the thought of God. And so we, you know, everywhere we look, God's voice is, is speaking. And if we have the, the ear to hear it, uh, we can.
1: You know, it's really interesting if you just think about a simple flower, the purpose of a flower. There aren't very many people that would ever look at a flower and just be like, that's 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 dumb, that's ugly. I don't really care to look at that. I think everybody enjoys looking at those beautiful things. And, th- you know, when you have a belief in God, those those pieces of beauty that are really there to just, you know, give you a sense of enjoyment for your eyes. Um, you know, it's neat that God, almost everything on this planet, gives praise to this God that we, um, that we serve.
3: Yeah, our very makeup in terms of our mineral constitution in our own bodies is, is an example. It's actually, we have probably the best example the most beautiful uh, truth, I guess, would be the best way to put it, or, or evidence that we were created uh, in the garden. Because you, when you approach agriculture from a standpoint of creation, and then you read the Bible, you say, God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Therefore, when we look at our situation today, all our soils are out of balance. And if you're going to balance that soil... The question is, what are you balancing it to? And when you approach it from an agriculture, when you approach agriculture from a creation standpoint, we're going to say we're going to balance it to the human system. And so, I mean, literally right down the line from you know every mineral that is is in your body, if you directly uh, correlate those proportions into the soil and balance the soil to the human system, the plants become uh, what's called fully mineralized, and we benefit from that. God made a circular um, situation there. We're made from the earth. The plants take up the mineral constitution from the earth. We eat those plants, and it sustains us. It's a beautiful example. It's a beautiful, beautiful evidence that we were created.
2: You know, another another example of nature pointing to God, I was just reading to my kids the other day, and uh, we were reading about albatrosses, and how When the albatross lays an egg, one of the parents always stays with the egg, and the other one goes to get food. And they will go great distances sometimes to get food. Uh, Up to like 4,000 miles, they will fly. And there was even one account that we read about of an albatross that left for like 10 days in search of food and traveled like 40,000 miles. It It was really far. And so you think about that, and what does that teach us? God goes to great lengths to make sure that we have what we need as his children, you know. And one of those albatrosses are always there. And just like God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? He's going to take care of us as a parent and make sure that we're fed, that we're provided for, and that we're protected. So that's just another, another good example, right? And there's all kinds of examples like that of nature pointing to God.
1: Yeah, it's not just the growing um, plants in the garden. I mean, just the animal kingdom in itself. Looking at the way that they have these symbiotic relationships, and you know the great lengths that the parents go through for their children, it just makes absolutely zero sense from an evolutionary standpoint. Of, of you know, why would they, why would they go through that if everyone was like survival of the fittest? You know, it. it it really shows that that god's love was placed even inside of the animal kingdom and this this idea of passing things on. I think you also see that in the in the plant world as well, a plant having the ability to have you know fifty to hundreds of seeds in there to create more plants you know for other people to to enjoy those foods. Um, is just is just an example of God's love and giving heart. So it's beautiful. You know, Tommy, I want to go back to what you were saying about the soil and and the balance of the minerals and in, in, in your system. You know, we we we've developed a soil amendment product that specifically is centered around this idea. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Yeah. It actually is is a good example, again, of our spiritual uh, journey, and um, really what we've learned uh, over the last couple of years, few years, especially as I've had the opportunity to apprentice with Lynn Hoag, is the importance of what's called the soil food web, and there are all these little critters that need to be in the soil. Uh, these are beneficial bacteria, beneficial protozoa, algaes, uh, beneficial fungus, And when these little critters are not there, then we're growing in basically dead soils. And this has rendered our food supply uh, nutrient deficient. So we're all basically living in a full stomach starvation situation. So to help remedy that situation, we, this last year, developed a, a garden amendment called Soil Salvation And the tagline is how to grow nutrient-dense food by starting a microbial revival and mineral reformation in your soil. So basically, it's an inoculation of microbes, beneficial microbes, that uh, are found in all healthy soil food webs. And you're reviving those little critters and getting their numbers going. The bacteria will will double their numbers every half hour on a warm day. So you're just seeding these little guys into the soil, and they get to work on the organic matter and break down the organic matter in your soil and then produce what is uh, plant food. Um, And really, the soil food web gives us, I think, a really beautiful picture of faith. Because faith is believing in something that we cannot see. And the soil food web is something that we cannot see. I mean, without a microscope, you know, without the without the aid of, of some instruments and whatever, we have to have faith that you know what we put down on the soil is going to actually uh, uh, break down the organic matter and make make that happen. Uh, uh, for instance, one small aspect of the of this soil food web, the mycorrhiza, is a fungus that's beneficial to all plants. It is it lives off of some sugars off the root, and it actually gives the plant nutrients and water. Uh, some of which those nutrients would not even make it into the plant without the presence of the mycorrhiza. And it actually forms a communication network between like species. So all your lettuce plants will be connected by at the root structure by the mycorrhiza, and can communicate through that pathway. Uh, a beetle starts eating the one lettuce plant and it's going to react by creating some enzymes to ward off that predator that message is then communicated to the whole row and they haven't even seen the beetle so this is this is an example of the holy spirit what well, what's that thing that connects us that we don't see that only by you know divine intervention could some things happen when you think back over your life and answered prayers and things uh you know it, it, there's a there's an unseen connection that connects us all and and there's just example after example, um, in the in the soil, just in the soil. If you just were to really uh, do a study of uh, what's called agronomy, um, it, you would see that God's character is all through the whole thing. I mean, it's just it just becomes more and more fascinating when you look deeper into it. I think that's that's exactly why God placed Adam and
1: Eve. In the garden, getting in their hands in the dirt, growing things and looking at the way that that all of these little organisms play together so that it can produce a piece of food that is giving you nutrients. Um, You know, what a a beautiful, simple example. Um, You know, most people would look at the dirt and just say, that's dirt. What does that have to do with God? but there's so much going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. just like there's so much going on behind the scenes of of how the holy spirit works how god is interacting with e- each and every one of us how we are literally connected together and and uh you know our mission in life is to produce that fruit
3: amen spiritually nutrient dense fruit that's right so gardening people get out there
1: and start a garden there's no better way to actually get a a physical workout a a spiritual workout a a mental workout i mean the the benefits of of playing in the dirt and um enjoying growing your own food is beyond what what we can even you know discuss here in this small little hour so um uh, you guys uh, if you want to know more about some of our uh, gardening uh, ventures we have a lot of uh, information on on our website www.littlelightstudios.tv. Uh, if you look at some of the products you'll see some of the gardening products there and uh, there's videos that are attached and and uh, we just are very enthusiastic and 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 very excited about what we're learning from the soil, and we hope that uh, you can learn too. But ultimately, uh, all of these things are to point you to a better understanding of God, and that is why God placed Adam and Eve in the garden.
3: Amen. Another good resource, just as a uh, an ender here, look up a documentary called Symphony of the Soil. Really good documentary put together by the same guys who did the documentary Food Matters and lots of great information there so
0: yeah so our next podcast we're actually going to do part two of this particular portion you know we looked at how the garden related to Adam and Eve and how that was the first classroom and so how does that relate to the modern classroom that we have here around the world so we'll look at those different points and we'll be excited to share that with you the next time around thanks for joining us